Hello, and welcome to Maintain the Flame with Keith Collins, the podcast where we anticipate an experience with the Lord on each and every episode. Thank you so much for listening today, and my prayer is that you will be strengthened, encouraged, and challenged in your daily walk with the Lord as you listen. The primary purpose for this podcast is to be a source of inspirational truth that will awaken a deeper hunger within you for the fire of God to burn brighter and hotter in your life. Leviticus 6.12 says, The fire on the altar must be kept burning. It must not go out. This Old Testament verse spoke into the sacrificial burnt offering system of the temple, and it also reflects the fact that we as the bride of Christ are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we have a responsibility to steward our walk with God and maintain His flame that He has ignited in our hearts. I am your host, Keith Collins, and I invite you to join me now as we explore biblical truths that will help us to maintain the flame of God upon the altar of our hearts. Hello and welcome to Maintain the Flame. This is Keith Collins, your host, and I am honored this week, as every week, to invite you into the program today. My heart is that you're about to be encouraged, that you're about to be stirred and challenged and that your heart will be penetrated by the truths that I am about to share. For the last several weeks, last four weeks, I've been talking on the subject of revival, basically saying that we are in desperate need of revival. And I've I've spent quite a bit of time developing that reality and, you know, using different different themes, different uh, messages, different verses from the Bible to kind of describe really why we need revival, some about what revival is, um, those types of things. And, and I trust that if you have listened the last four weeks, that you've been encouraged and and maybe even enlightened some as you've listened to some of the things that I have been sharing on this program. This week, I come back to you, and this will probably be my final week on this subject matter at this time, um, the subject of we need revival, even though, of course, if you know me and if you listen to this this program, you realize that revival is a theme that kind of runs through a lot of what I share, and I really come from the heart of a revivalist. That's really my passion, and still believe in God, asking God, Lord, pour out your spirit upon your church and this generation and the church around the world. Of course, I'm in America, and I'm an American, and you know we have some revival history in America throughout the generations, throughout the last few hundred years. But we are in a, uh, a dark place right now, morally, spiritually, culturally, societally, um, our, our society, excuse me. Um, we're, we're definitely in a dark, dark season if you look at the overall spiritual condition of our nation. And the fact is that the church needs revival. Again, as I've said the last few weeks, it starts in the church. And then awakening can happen in a nation or in a city or in a region, as we've seen throughout history. But today, as I come to you, I want to I want to talk to you today um, on really the purpose for revival. We need revival, but what's the purpose of it? Um, what does it accomplish? How does it accomplish what it needs to accomplish? And there, there's so much here. We could really go several more weeks, and maybe we'll come back at another time and and revisit this this subject matter but but let me let me just say this first of all you know the early church the church in the first century had much endowment this is what Leonard Ravenhill said he said the early church had much endowment and 
that's another word for power, and little equipment. The modern church has much equipment and little endowment or power. Basically, what Mr. Ravenhill was saying was that the early church didn't have all the latest, greatest technology that we have in this generation. They didn't have the Internet. They didn't have um, public address systems or PA systems. They didn't have um, a lot of, um, you know, technical things, a lot of even um, rooms or buildings that were built to, to host Christian events. They didn't have radio. <laughs> they didn't have TV. Again, they didn't have the Internet. So they didn't have a lot of equipment on the, in the natural. However, they had the needed equipment, which was the endowment or the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And as a result, they, they turned their world upside down, the book of Acts says, or we could say right side up. When we look at so much of the modern church, we see so much technology. We see so much equipment. We see so much of a reliance on man-made ability and man-made technology that really we can come to a place, and I believe a lot of people are here, that we would say we don't really need a revival anymore, or we could even um, recategorize or re, um, you know, kind of change the meaning of revival to where it's not what it used to be. And let me just say, revival is not a mega church. Revival is not tens of thousands of people filling an arena or a stadium to listen to Christian singers. Then revival is an invasion of the Spirit of God in the midst of His church that brings the church to a place of deep humility, contrition, conviction, repentance, and that leads them into a life of power and endowment by the Holy Spirit. So what is the purpose for revival? The primary purpose of revival is, I would say, to bring the people of God back to normal, to to bring them out of their self-sufficiency and into their God dependency to where we realize that we have to have God. You see, when it comes to revival and how it relates to the church, it is vital that we understand its purpose, I believe. I believe this is essential with regard to the existence of and even the sustaining of true visitation. Um, Revival always, and I've said this before, but Revival always presupposes spiritual decline or declension, or we could say backsliding among the people of God. We see this in the Old Testament, the New Testament, and even throughout church history. And really the the sad fact is that many people in the church, many people in the church are spiritually asleep, and they don't even know they're asleep. People become so used to their backslidden or compromised state until God shows up in glory that, that they're unaware that they're even dull are are spiritually asleep and we can look at Isaiah 6 where Isaiah was a prophet already prophesying but in Isaiah 6 he has that incredible experience with the Lord and he sees the Lord in his temple and he's high and lifted up and his train fills the temple and and you know he sees the, the angelic creatures crying holy 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 to the Lord and an angel comes and takes a, tong- a set of tongs and takes a coal from the altar and puts it on his lips, a sign of purification. And, and what is his response? Woe is me. In other words, he's so overwhelmed at the holiness and the power and the glory of the Lord that it, it strikes him. And he realized that he's a man of unclean lips. He, he lives among a people of unclean lips. In other words, he, he saw his sin, that thing that separated him from God. And even though he was somewhat active in ministry already, this brought him to a place of purification. Friend, this is a picture of what revival does in the church. You see, oftentimes the church world looks at itself and it compares itself with others in the church. 
instead of with the biblical pattern of what it means to actually be a revived people. You might say, hey, man, we pray more than the church down the road, or we're not watching those kind of movies, or we're not listening to that ungodly music, and, and they are, their youth groups, um, you know, got the world in it, so forth and so on. But the reality is you could be in a prayerless state, you could be in a cold, lukewarm, or even a backslidden state, and even though you might be more holy on the outside than someone else. That does not mean that you're living a revived lifestyle. That doesn't mean that your heart is burning for the things of Jesus. You see, the sad fact, as I said, is that that many people are spiritually asleep. And, and again, they have no idea that they're asleep. So, so, so the disastrous result of, of this is always spiritual blindness, spiritual deafness, and even spiritual paralysis, I could say. So let me, let me read. Um, from Revelation chapter 3. Of course, this is the part of Revelation where the the seven churches of Asia are being written to and the Lord is speaking here. And this this one is being, this part of, of Revelation is speaking to the church of Laodicea. Many of you have heard of that, of course. But listen to verse 14 through 22 real quick here. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either cold or, or, or either one or the other, excuse me. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You, you say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and I do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and I discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Now, this is um, a very stern rebuke from Jesus to the church of Laodicea. John writes this, of course, in Revelation, but he's literally writing the words of the Lord himself. And and the Lord says, listen, you, you have this image of yourself, and this is not being written to the world, my friend. Matter of fact, I've heard a lot of evangelists over the years, over the last 36 years, use this, this passage here where the Lord says, here I am, I stand at the door and knock, if anyone hears my voice and opens. Now, th- there's truth to that, of course, when it comes to reaching the lost, but this is the Lord standing outside the door of the church, the church of Laodicea, and he's knocking on the door so he can come into the church. But the church is saying, hey, man, we, we've got everything together. We, we've got wealth, and we, we, um, we've acquired all these things. We don't need anything. But the Lord says, you're lukewarm. I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. And he says, be zealous and do what? Be zealous and repent. In other words, he's calling them back to a place of consecration, a place of righteousness, a place of, of holiness. And so, so what does revival do, friend? Revival restores these foundational truths to the church to, to where we realize, 
how much we need the Lord in every aspect of our lives. That's why I ask people oftentimes, do you really want revival? Even when I I teach a class on revival, I'll ask my students, do you really want revival? Do you want personal revival? Do you want corporate revival? Do you really? Because I think it's important for us to know what revival does. You see, to to the church, and listen to me, to the church, revival can mean um, even humiliation. It, it can be this this knowledge of how unworthy we are. It, it can be um, an open confession of sin on the part of ministers and and people. It is. It's not the easy glorious powerful thing that many think it to be who who just think of you know church seats being filled or pews being filled and 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 there's power and glory flowing and people are being healed and signs and wonders all those things can happen and have happened and hopefully will happen again in the midst of revival but but revival doesn't come so that we can feel something Revival doesn't come so that we can shake and fall on the ground. Revival doesn't come so that we can have manifestations. When revival comes to to rearrange the heart of the church, it, it, it comes as a source of of penetrating holiness that invades the the darkness and the compromise and the lukewarmness and it begins to arrest the heart of the people of God. I've I've shared this before, but I want to share it here again. I remember being on the prayer team at the Browns Revival, and oftentimes leaders would come to me and I, at, at that time I was like 30 years old 28 30 years old during that time period when I was on the prayer team but I would pray for leaders sometimes in their 50s 60s maybe even in their early 70s and I remember so distinctly leaders pastors coming to me sharing with me that they had been living in secret adultery with their secretary or maybe one man told me he'd been stealing money from his church and he'd probably have to go to prison but he was a pastor and he had to get right with God you see when God is moving in revival fire there is that purifying force of the nature of God that purifies the people so that we can effectively carry the glory of God with true humility and meekness, sobriety, contrition, and also an utter reliance upon the Lord himself to where it's not about us. You see, the fact is this, revival will come to, to burn or to, to scorch before it brings healing. It, it confronts people in their unfaithful witness to the Lord for our selfishness, for our love of this present world, for our lust of the flesh, our lust of the eye, for, for our neglect of the cross and even preaching the cross. And, and it calls us to a daily life of devotion and dedication unto the Lord. Friend, this is the purpose for revival. It, it purifies, it, it cleanses the people of God. It, it purifies the ministry. It it brings us again out of performance mode into repentance mode. And, you know, repentance has become a bad word in a lot of the modern church, especially here in America. But can I tell you something? Repentance is a glorious work of the Holy Spirit. And I, I want to live a repentive lifestyle. It doesn't mean that I I live condemned. I don't. I live free. I'm free in grace. But the grace of the Lord saved me, but it also empowers me to live a life that's worthy of the call of God. You see, revival fire, even personal revival fire, 
equips us by grace through intimacy with Jesus to resist the devil and watch him flee, to resist temptation and walk in victory. doesn't mean I'm not tempted. Of course, I'm tempted like any other man would be tempted. However, there is power through grace. And when our heart is revived, when we are alive to the things of heaven, when Jesus is so beautiful to us that nothing could take our eyes off of his holiness, his power, his glory, his authority, then my friend, We are a revived people. You see, revival comes to restore these dynamics among the people of God. So before we go any further, even today, in the minutes we have remaining, I believe it's important for all of us to be completely transparent before the holiness of Jesus and the purity of his nature. And again, ask that question, do I really want revival? Because my friend, revival might cause you to to come clean in some areas that you're hiding. It it might cause you to to go to someone and ask forgiveness of something. It it might call cause you to to make things right. Maybe something that happened years ago. You see, revival awakens our hearts to the nature of God and he then begins to move in us in deep again, deep penetrating ways. You see, in in light of of the reality of what I'm talking about We must answer this question. Are we willing to live a life that brings glory to the Lamb that is worthy to receive the reward of His sufferings? And that's the quote from the old Moravian missionary. But you see, if this is not what we're living for, then revival will only be a subject of novelty and interest that leads to nothing more than a carnal fascination void of God's power, His presence, His divine assistance. I've known a lot of people over the years And I'll be honest with you, maybe I've even been in this place at different times in my life, but I've known a lot of people that were fascinated with revival because of what happened, because of the stories and and the miracles and the manifestations and the healings and um, even the depth of repentance. I mean, these things are fascinating to read about how that the Lord would literally just invade a city or a town or a region and people not even being in a church would be convicted and maybe thrown to the ground in deep penetrating repentance. I mean, these are fascinating things to read about. We we read about um, miracles. We read about angelic visitation. I mean, many of these things that we read throughout the history of revival are very fascinating. But can I tell you something? You can live fascinated with revival and never have personal revival. You can live fascinated with what God has done, but never realize the purpose for what God did, what he did. The purpose for revival is not so we, not so that we can write good books. And I, I love good revival books. I have some here on my desk. I might even read from one in a few minutes. But, but listen to me, that's not the purpose for revival. Revival is to bring the heart of the church alive to the purposes of Jesus. It's to align us with the nature of Christ himself. It's to burn away the selfishness, the foolishness, the production-oriented Christian experience that many of us live in, even as ministers. It's to reveal the, the, the dormancy and the deadness of learned Christian behavior and to awaken us to the reality of the living God. So you see, in revival, my friend, there are things that happen. There's, there's a fresh awareness of Jesus high and exalted in the midst of his church. His, his, his overwhelming nature is revealed and it's seen. As, as I shared a couple of weeks ago, God's divine sovereignty takes preeminence in revival. He's, he's the one that's in control. It's not about a personality or 
a gift that a person has, but it's about the Lord himself being glorified. People began to get prepared. I believe in real revival, spiritual preparation takes place. In other words, revival is like this attack on Satan and his kingdom that comes from God and literally infuses his people into action. He um, prepares them in the midst of revival fire. Many of us in the Browns of Revival um, felt the call to be further prepared. And as a result, people were sent around the world. They're still out there. Many of these missionaries even are around the world preaching the gospel, making disciples. Why? Because in the midst of revival fire, they felt a need to prepare to do the works of Jesus. The fear of the Lord is restored in revival, friend. In revival, the holiness of God's nature creates a healthy fear that leads people to righteousness and purity of heart. Sin becomes exceedingly sinful in the presence of God's undeniable glory and holiness. Uh, Psalm 24 It says, who can ascend the hill of the Lord? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Those that have not lifted their hearts to idols. In other words, those that walk in purity know the things of God. Another thing that revival does, it reveals the, the suddenness of God. In other words, we realize that God can do more in a season of revival than we can ever do in our strength and in our own ability. God is revealed in such a way. A, a divine magnetism takes place. People are drawn. We we read history about revival, how that people would be drawn to churches or drawn to meetings or drawn to prayer meetings or even just drawn to the Lord by walking down the street or maybe even in a pub or a bar. There's a divine magnetism that happens in the midst of revival. Also, he- heaven opening apostolic prophetic proclamation type preaching is revealed and brought forth in the midst of true revival it's almost like heaven and hell are there in the midst of true revival and it it brings about an eternal an eternal excuse me cognizance or consciousness or awareness revival puts eternity in view and we have a different paradigm and and then I believe another thing that, that's important is revival evokes prayer. The church gets back to real praying in the midst of true revival. And these are, you know, these are just a few things. But I wanted to read just, just a couple of minutes here, a few, few minutes from a book um, called Revival Fire by Wesley Duell. I've had this book for several years. But I've been to the, the place where the Hebrides revival took took place in 1949. But I want to just read a little bit about what happened during this time. In 1949, in the village of Barvis, Reverend James McKay was the parish minister. For months, he and his church leaders prayed for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. In a small cottage lived two elderly sisters, Peggy Smith, age 84 and blind, and her sister, Christine Smith, age 82 and almost bent double with arthritis. They were unable to attend worship, but for months they prayed in their cottage for God to send revival to Barvis. And I've been to the place where their cottage was. It's just a foundation now. The sisters prayed by name for the people in each cottage along the village streets. They loved their church and respected their ministry, but longed for a new visitation of God. God gave them the promise, I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground, Isaiah 44.3. 
The Smith sisters prayed this promise day and night. On the other side of the island of Barvis, knowing nothing about the prayer burden of the Smith sisters, seven young men met three nights a week in a barn to pray for revival. They entered into a covenant with God in accordance with Isaiah 62, 6, and 7, that they would give God no rest until he sent revival. I have posted watchmen on your walls of Jerusalem. They will never be silent day or night. You who call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest and give him no rest till he establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of the earth. Month after month, these young men prayed. And one night, one young deacon took his Bible and read to the other young men on their knees from Psalm 24, 3 through 5, Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, he will receive blessing from the Lord. That same morning, God gave one of the Smith sisters a vision. Peggy Smith saw the churches crowded with people, including many young people, and hundreds being swept into the kingdom of God. She saw the lamb in the midst of the throne with the keys of heaven in his hand. Peggy Smith sent word to Reverend McKay that God had shown her he was going to send a mighty revival. She asked him to call together the elders and deacons of the church and special times for special times of waiting on God for revival. The pastor and church leaders prayed repeatedly for several months. And let me move forward here. Pastor McKay went the next day to the Smith sisters to tell them what had happened. And as they prayed, they were gripped by the Spirit. So the next morning, they told him that they had prevailed in prayer and pre- that previous night. We struggled through the hours of the night, refusing to take a denial. Our God is a covenant-keeping God, and he must be true to his covenant engagement. Did he fall on us? Never. Before morning light broke, he saw the enemy retreating and our wonderful lamb taking the field. News of the revival, in other words, God began to break out. News of the revival spread immediately across the island. The next night, buses arrived from various places filled with men and women anxious to hear and see what God was doing. In a few days, work throughout the area was largely set aside as people prayed for themselves, friends and neighbors. People prayed and found God in homes, barns, loom sheds, by the roadside, and by peat stacks. Revival fires spread to other villages and calls came from other churches. The whole region seemed saturated with God. Wherever people were in their homes, fields, on the road, they were awesomely aware of God's presence. Visitors to the island noticed it and remarked on it. An unsaved man came to the minister's home one day for prayer. Reverend McKay told him he had not seen him in the services. The man responded, I haven't been to church, but this revival is in the air. I can't get away from the Spirit. I, I could read on and on and how that God brought a man by the name of Duncan Campbell in, who he used as a powerful tool, as a powerful voice in the midst of this revival. But if you read the history of the Hebrides revival, and I was I was there a few years ago, and I met with a couple in their 90s who were actually in the revival, and they, they shared with me about some of the supernatural things that were taking place among even the young people that would pray behind the church in the fields after the services. And there were times that angels would come down and walk with them as they glorified the Lord. Just the the depth of conviction and repentance that took place among the people, the, the saturation of the entire region under the presence of God. Real revival fire burning, not about talent and gifting, but about the glory of Jesus being manifested upon a people. Friend, my my cry is I, I come to the end of this this teaching on revival. 
My cry is that we would see revival. And I, I understand that we can't wait for that to happen to be obedient. We, we live in personal revival. I've said that already over the weeks. But, but my friend, I, I'm asking God, send revival again to your church. And Lord, awaken the nations. Do what you did in the 1700s in the colonies of America. Do what you did in the 1800s in America in the Second Great Awakening. Do what you did in 1904 in Wales. Do what you did in 1949 in the Hebrides. Do what you did again, God, and even greater in 1995 in the Brownsville Revival. Father, do what you did in the Silcott Revival. Father, do what you've done in Africa at times. Do what you've done, in, I mean, throughout the world in Argentina, what you did in Argentina years ago. God, restore your people to revival, God. Revive our hearts. That's, that's my prayer, Lord. And I'm praying and talking at the same time now. But friend, hear the passion of my heart. We need revival. I want to pray. Father, send revival fire. Send your glory into our midst, God. Do what only you can do. Revive the heart of your church. Awaken us out of our deadness, out of our sleepiness. Forgive us for our sin of transgression. Forgive us for our carnality. And, oh, God, be glorified, be magnified in every one that's listening to this today. May it start with that individual, that one person, that small group of people that's listening to this today. And, Lord, do in us what only you can do by the power of of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hey, thank you, thank you, thank you for listening today. I pray you've been encouraged. I pray that you have hope for revival. I pray that your heart is burning with the things of Jesus. To learn more about our ministry, you can visit us at keith-collins.org. You can also find us at impactgf.org. Thank you for listening to Maintain the Flame. May the fire of God burn hotter and brighter in your life. And we will see you again next week at the same time on Maintain the Flame. God bless you. Thank you so much for listening to Maintain the Flame with Keith Collins. I want to ask you to please subscribe, rate, and write a review for this podcast on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you hunger for a greater passion for the Lord that will not dim or subside, then please subscribe and listen weekly to episodes that will encourage you in your walk with God. To learn more about my ministry, please go to keith-collins.org or impactgf.org.